eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he show us his mercy. Psalm 123, verses 2 and 3. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning will be um, part two of a seven-part series of things the scriptures say are marks of Christian maturity, of living into the Christian life with sincerity and fullness. Last week we looked um, at the first mark, which I sort of labelled as uh, costly generosity to charity and to church. And this week, um, the mark by a word that I want to speak about, that the scriptures this morning speak about, is dependency. Dependency. Meaning, looking to another for what you need and not to yourself. Which in a Christian context, as you probably guessed uh, from the psalm that I just read, means looking to God for what we need rather than to ourselves. This theme of dependency is spoken of in each of our lessons this morning in different ways, right? Um, first of all, the psalm, which will be sort of the, in the end, the text I really want to kind of burrow into and sort of unpack for us practically, this picture of a servant looking to the hand of a master, which has sort of its full resonance when you picture, if you can picture, what the setup was between masters and servants in the ancient world, in King David's time, um, if you were wealthy enough to have servants, they would stand at attention. For some reason, they would often stand with their arms crossed. That's actually why you see that in like Egyptian statues and stuff. That's how servants stood, almost like with a military rigor. And their eyes would be fixed on the hands of their master because it would be ignoble of a nobleman to have to kind of explain in detail what he needed his servant to do. Never, never mind the prospect of having to repeat himself because the servant wasn't paying attention. So the servants knew they were on guard, on laser-focused duty. As long as, they were, as long as the master was in the room, they were looking at his hands for a gesture here, a gesture there, so they could jump to and obey the command. As the eyes of a servant looked to the hands of his master. This theme of dependency is also spoken of in our epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul recounts that the Lord Jesus said to him, I love you know, kind of putting flesh on the things that Paul just offhandedly writes about, that here Paul is talking with the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus, it must have been in a time of prayer, spoke to him and said, this is in verse 9, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then a verse later, Paul admits that he listened and obeyed his Lord and says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And that obviously sounds, is a, a, the letter, a paradox. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What Paul's saying is, is that when he's weak, he realizes that he, need, he needs God's help. And so he asks for God's help, and God is strong. So there is strength in Paul's life when he is weak, because God is strong, and God is in his life. And that's what that whole thing is about the thorn. It's kind of one of these... Christian puzzlers that I'm sure you've maybe wondered about yourself or been in a Sunday school class about at some point. What was the thorn um, that Paul had in his flesh? Um, I think what it was, if it was important to know, the scriptures would have told us. Um, what the scriptures do make very clear is what the thorn accomplished. It was something that the Lord permitted, and I think it's not given because a lot of things could fit this bill. Something that the Lord permits 
that is sort of a regular reminder to us that, that we are weak, that we are just frail creatures and in need of God's help. I mean, in some ways, who doesn't have a thorn at some level? But the thorn was permitted, sometimes an especial thing, as in Paul's case, so that Paul, despite all of his visions and his spiritual gifts and his powerful ministry, so that Paul would always remain in that posture of the psalmist, like the servant, as the eyes of a servant looked at the hand of his master. So Paul would never kind of get on his high horse and say, well, I'm the Apostle Paul, we'll do it my way, uh, but instead remain humble, always looking to his master. We see it also in the Gospels. When Jesus, uh, in the Gospel we heard this morning, when Jesus sends out the twelve on ministry and says, don't take anything with you, <laughs> which is not the usual advice you give when you send someone out on a traveling mission, but Jesus was saying, practice depending on your Heavenly Father. Practice dependence. Being dependent on God will often mean uh, a sense of helplessness, humility, vulnerability. And this is the exact quality, these qualities that Jesus praises when he um, commends that we should be like children if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because children know that they're dependent. Well, at least most of the time. Um, they know that you know, if they need food, if they need these things, they have to go to mom and dad for it. And it's that same spirit of dependence that I think is the chief thing Jesus is commending when he commends that we imitate children. And um, like, you know, when we look at sort of the things that um, Christ calls us to, some Christian virtues, the world also recognizes as virtues, right? Christ um, calls us to be strong and courageous, and the world would say, yeah, strength and courage are virtues. So sometimes what the church says and what the world says, they're, they're in accord with each other. Sometimes what the church says and the world says are not in accord with each other. And this is one of those cases, right? The world doesn't praise dependence, right? We don't celebrate Dependence Day. We celebrate Independence Day. Um, the world thinks that to be dependent is undesirable. Um, we have this sort of especially deeply rooted in our American culture where we sort of hold up Benjamin Franklin as our sort of arch moral exemplar and he was an industrious, like vigorous, I mean he has a lot of things, virtues that you could commend uh, but there's a sort of sense of like well, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps which is dissonant with dependence. Depend if you are dependent on someone else you have no bootstrap, you're asking, you're asking for a bootstrap to be pulled up with that was a mixture of metaphors, not very well, but... <laughs> um, what I mean is that so many of the things that are sort of truisms in our culture or things that we hear said uh, clash with this Christian call to be dependent on God. Like sort of a sense of, I worked for this and I earned this. Like it's sort of just our dominion, like we're independent agents. Um, or the phrase, taking matters into your own hands. That's not something a servant would do. That's something the master has the prerogative to do. Um, dependency, there are some folk in life who um, are very poor and so the sense of not being able to provide for themselves is instinctive because they see it in their daily life. For us whom God has blessed to not be poor, we actually have to work to practice a mindset of dependency because we could easily fall into the illusion of well, like sort of I'm getting along all right by myself, like we might be tricked into thinking that we are not dependent on God. So for we need to cultivate and sort of lean into and practice uh, a habit of dependency on God. 
this habit that we see in the life of St. Paul, in the words of King David, and all the saints, um, which I think is a mark of Christian maturity. <clears throat> so I want to just unpack a little bit more about this image of a servant looking to the hands of his master. Um, it's very instructive for us as we want, if we want to practice this mark of dependency. So when we look at what comes from a master's hand, you know, in this sort of setup in the ancient world, uh, King David's time, what would a master's hand do? I think you could boil it down to two things. He would give direction, do this, uh, and provision. Here's your dinner. Right? It would be pretty simple. I mean, those are the things that a master would excuse his servant when it was time to be excused. He would give him orders while he was on duty. Um, and I think these are the very things kind of built into that picture of the psalm that God is saying we should look to him for. Direction and provision. And our natural tendency will be to do the opposite. Not to look to God for these things, um, but to assume we know what direction we should go and to provide, just kind of taking things for ourselves as we need them. Those are, that is the instinctive way of the world. This is where Christ is calling us to something beyond the world, to himself. Instead of doing sort of assuming we know and presuming to take, we should instead seek, looking to the hand of the master, by, to translate the metaphor means to pray, to ask God for direction, to ask God for provision. And I think one of the things that I'm increasingly learning more and more about prayer from people who are further along that path than me is a rich prayer life is often is not I sort of used to conceive of it as someone who could just sort of go and just pray non-stop for an hour which I've never been able to do like my prayers run dry after just a couple minutes it seems like so often but I'm learning that the great saints are less characterized by sort of a whole hour of intercession and rather just frequent and regular short prayers to God for the daily task just before any decision, does it say, Lord, show me the way that I should go? I'm about to make a decision on what insurance policy I should take or where I should go this weekend or whatever. Lord, show me the way that I should go. And just invite him and maybe there will be no direction and you just follow your nose and what you're going to do anyways, but you open the door to then all of a sudden having your, eye, your sort of ear out for, oh, did, is God maybe call, telling me to call this friend? All of a sudden they just came to mind. Well, Okay, I guess I'll, I'll call them. You know, and, then, and I think especially for the big decisions in life, ordinarily we could pray that. And one of a, a mentor of mine says, um, pray while your hand is on the doorknob and then do your best. <laughs> and I like that sort of very practical picture. Like ask God to guide you and then go as you can in the midst of sort of the day-to-day -day life. But for the big decisions... I think if we really want direction, like from a master, to actually wait, to delay our decision as much as we are able, waiting for divine direction, which he, God will give if he wants to, through the counsel of a friend, through a sensation, through sort of a sense in your heart during a time of prayer, and chief of all, I think if we really are asking God for direction, hand in glove with that would be listening to the scriptures regularly. This is why I'm so grateful that we inhabit a Christian tradition that has four scripture readings every Sunday, but even beyond that, in our private reading, that we avail ourselves, like we say, Lord, show me the way that I should go, but he's given us a whole book of commands and directions which are most useful for figuring out which way to go. And so regular reading of the scriptures is one way of sort of revealing to ourselves and to God that we really do look to his hand for which way we should go. And I think similarly with provision, um, in the ordinary sort of things that we need in life, to just pray, Lord, may I have this? 
Lord, would you provide that thing for me? To just invite God into sort of our material world of the things we acquire for both needs and wants. To say, Lord, may I have this? Because in doing that, we invite God to reform sometimes what we are asking for. So I might say, Lord, may I have this thing? And as I say it to God, I'm like, well, I should probably ask for something a bit different. But similarly, um, there was sort of an anecdote that changed my life uh, a few years ago. It was one of the great teachers of prayer in our generation is named Paul Miller. Um, And he mentioned to a friend one time that he was praying for a a vacation home, praying for a cabin that him and his friends could go to and, and his family and his extended family. And someone challenged him, like, you're praying for a vacation home? Like, uh, do you think God wants you to have that kind of luxury? Um, and Paul Miller challenged, said back to this guy who challenged him, and said, well, are you saving up money for like a vacation home or something nice like that? And the guy said, well, yeah. It's like, so you're willing to like work for something that you're, as, but not invite God into it. Like you want to keep that just totally separate from your relationship with God. And that really challenged me. Like, yeah, if we think it's worthwhile working for something, Let's bring that thing before God. Let's pray about it. And I think God actually has a lot of good things for us that we sort of think maybe we have to kind of snatch from under his nose as if he wouldn't be paying attention. So when we invite God in to our... When we seek provision from him rather than just sort of acquiring provision for ourselves, a couple things happen. One, our sort of the heart from which we want things can be refined, but also then it cultivates a spirit of gratitude. Then if we get the thing we ask for, we say, thanks be to God. A servant who is dependent would often be grateful for something that was given, especially if it was over and above kind of the ordinary course of needs. And I think that would be a sort of more pure enjoyment of the good things of this world, rather than sort of if we hadn't included God in the process at all. So those are sort of two things I just encourage you to think about as you go about this week, that when you're about to do something or about to acquire something, to just very briefly say, Lord, show me the way that I should go. Lord, may I have this thing? Could you provide it for me? And, and, and invite God in like a servant looking to a master. And that will cultivate a deeper sense that we really, because we really are dependent on him for our very existence. And practicing these prayers will cultivate a deeper sense of that. That, yeah, God is the one guiding my life. God is the one providing and underwriting my existence. And we will be thankful to him. And the really cool bit, and this is what the scriptures this morning say, when we do that, we actually bring more of God's power and glory into the world. This is the when I'm weak, then he's strong thing. If we actually inhabit the role of servants looking to their master, the master gets to be glorified. We get to give credit where credit is due and, and present to the world, to the lives of our friends and family who know us, um, his grace is sufficient for us. He did provide. He has guided. And, and God will be glorified in our lives more the more we come to practice and cultivate dependency. Amen.